I'm in a relentless pursuit of greatness. Money doesn't change you, it just projects who you really are. People give up their health for wealth, but then they get the wealth and realize they only need health. You need that inside you, the fire in the belly, the want, the need for more. I think the first person to give you an opportunity is yourself. I signed with PFL, they gave me $60,000 to sign on. Once I did start believing in myself, it was dangerous, it really was. I'm eating exactly what I should be eating, I'm sleeping exactly when I should be sleeping, and absolutely nothing is getting in the way of me beating that guy. If you want it what the fuck like your life's over soon just go for it what you're gonna fail but i bet you become a better person on the way the pain of defeat was gonna be a hell of a lot more than the pain of a snapped arm the difference between the top one percent and that top 0.1 percent is fucking everything when i'm fighting for a world title and a million dollars and she's supported the whole journey and i can just see her and then i bring her in the ring and we have this moment there's a rumor going around that the ufc are trying to sign you and stuff like that is that true or is have i got that wrong first things first guys before we get started with this podcast do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now. Whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremoval.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremoval.com. And we are back from Champs Camp in Manchester. And I'm telling you now, yeah, this this story, this podcast is going to absolutely blow your mind. The, I've got the man with me, Brendan Lockland. He has absolutely smashed it, become world champion in MMA. And honestly, I can't wait for this conversation because this guy has done it all. And he's been through the lengthiest time in MMA that I've ever seen in history in terms of what he's been through. So, mate, welcome to the gym. Welcome to your training camp. And thank you for joining us. Mate, thank you for driving three and a half hours. It's an honor. Mate, it's, it's an, it, mate I'll, as soon as you said we, we're on for doing it, I was like, right, let's just get in the car, get it done, Love because it. Uh, I, I don't like, you know, same with, same with, you're the same, bro. We don't like fucking around, do we? We'd like to get things done. But I just want to, I think the best place for us to start with this podcast, mate, is obviously, look, you've been on a hell of a journey from outside of like Moss Side, Manchester, you know, to, to even get out of the estates and yep. to get out of the, pla- the, the place around here is, is difficult, isn't it? There's a lot, lot to it. So kind of give us a bit of a, a story behind your background and how you first came into like getting into MMA. So I, I'd call it just like a typical man kid, like grow up fighting and fucking around playing football. And like, I feel like it's a real hard upbringing here around these areas. And like, it just makes you tough, makes you strong, makes you gritty and gives you like strong willpower. Um, and I feel like football was my first thing. You know, that's all I did in school, uh, primary school all the way through. I was always good at athletics, long jump, trampoline in randomly. Um, they were my two things and I was good at football. I was a school captain and I went on to do like Stockport County, semi-professional kind of like just fucking around with that. And then it was like, I kind of had to make a decision then. It was like, I'm just not good enough at football. Like I'm just not good enough, you know what I mean? Like how competitive is football around here? It's the most competitive sport. MMA wasn't even a thing. It wasn't anything yet. Like it was just a sport like that you see on VHS. It wasn't even DVD back then. We used to get VHSs of like pride back in the day. And uh, my next door neighbour used to have it all on downstairs and be like, yeah, come in and watch it, watch it, watch it. I just started watching this mad stuff like that was only you could see on VHS from Japan and 
and America, like that, like I'm talking like Don Fry and people that are just like Ken Shamrock. Remember Ken Shamrock? Like these are the guys, <laughs> Randy Couture. Um, Randy Couture, do you? Chuck yeah, Liddell. Yeah. Um, used to watch them fights. And then um, he used to fight himself professionally, which he was like one of the first. And then uh, we used to have a local gym, Mossside Ground and Pound, Danny Ram, shout out to Danny. And uh, one day he was just like, yeah, you're coming down the gym. You know what I mean? I can see you love this. Let's go. Went down. I was the smallest in there and the youngest in there. And these are all like the local guys, big heads, strong, all just punching holes in each other. And then uh, I just kind of jumped in with him. I was the young kid. Like I was only 15, 16. We're talking like 30-year-old men who were just monsters. And uh, it was all just figuring it out, really. We didn't know what jiu-jitsu was, really. Like, we had bits of ideas of striking and we're using bag gloves. And we were just kind of figuring out a sport. And then, yeah, I started going down there. I was training twice a week. <laughs> twice a week. Two hours. We used to be a Tuesday, Thursday. Two hours on a Tuesday. Two hours on a Thursday. And then after about eight months, he said, right, I've got you a fight. I was like, what? What do you mean you've got me a fight? I was just natural at it. And fuck me, the rest is this year. We are. What? That's my 16, 17 years of fighting, just fighting day in, day out. That first day when you walked in the gym and had your first fight, right? I think we all remember going in the, in the boxing ring yeah, as, yeah. It, as it was back then and, 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 and first getting that first punch, proper punch in yeah. the face. I remember getting smacked right on the, <laughs> right on the nose and almost wanting to come to tears because it hurt so much but 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 not if you know what I mean like it turns like it brought it's me a weird to feeling, it bro. brought it, when you get struck straight down the pipe and you get hit and you get hit right on that nose there it, your eyes water like a motherfucker and your nose congeals and you just it's, you just you're kind of in shock and you kind of have a moment there where you mm. think to yourself right do I do I want this or do I not and obviously you decided in that moment that you yeah. wanted it you really <laughs> wanted it what was that like and and, and describe you your love of fighting from there? Well, I think my, my old coach used to say, Danny Ram, he said, you either, for hitting, getting hit is either you get used to it or you like it. They're the two options, like, it's going to happen. One of them things, got hit, really enjoyed it for some weird reason. I thought, fucking hell, that hurt, but I, I'm, I'm going to work you. And um, he used to always say, listen, you're going to get hit, but you're going to whip him harder, aren't you? And I, that was just instilled into me, like, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to give it you at the same time. Um, and I think with getting hit and being so young and just like growing up around there and just evolving in a in a mad sport that nobody really knows about and behind them closed doors, like it was absolutely insane, the stuff we used to do. We used to be like piggybacking each other, running up, doing all types of madness and like you just wouldn't get away with the sort of stuff we was doing nowadays, honestly. But But... But let's just give a bit of context because while that's happening in the gym, whilst you're doing that and that's happening in the gym, just talk into what was happening on the street outside the gym because in this area, it's notorious for yeah. like people getting shot, people getting murdered, people getting stabbed up. G give me a kind of insight into what it's like living in an area that is generally, like at any moment's notice, a, some violence can happen on the outside. Yeah, no, no, I'm not going to sit here and say I was involved in gangs or I was a gangster or anything like that because I really wasn't. I was just a young kid that everybody liked around here because I was playing football. I was always like sporting active and I'd always say hello to everyone. You know, I never got robbed or anything like that. I was just a happy-go-lucky young lad and I think everyone just respected that. remember one story though, this is a funny one. I was in bed with my ex-bird. This is going back when I must have been 18 at my mum's 
and then I was just in bed, bam, 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 out the window, shotguns, not, not shotguns, just shots, three shots out the window, yeah, like literally outside the window. And then I remember, like, I knew what it was, but I was like, that to her, she was like, what the fuck was that? I was like, oh, I don't know, it must have been fireworks in my damn thing, I know exactly what that is. Next morning, come out the whole, no one's been shot, someone's just let shots off. The whole fucking road's full of police. She's like, what? she's from a nice area, do you know what I mean? She's thinking, what the fuck, what have I got with here? Do you know what I mean? And like, that's just one incident of a million, mate. I could be sitting here all day with stuff like that. But that's the kind of shit that's going on. Um, obviously, it's different now. Like, you've got CCTV, the police are well more involved. And they just don't see that stuff anymore. But that, that's kind of how it was. I'm going back to fucking... I was born in 89, so 90s. And you know what it was like, Manchester in the 90s. It was, you know, yeah. the Hacienda and all that type of shit was going on. Um, but like you say, now it's... I'm not, you know what, I'm not even round here as much now, I'll be honest, it's not like I'm still sat on the estate every day, um, I travel the world a lot now, I'm in America a lot, I'm in Thailand a lot, um, but this is still my heart, my home, I'm happy when I'm in this gym. Yeah, because I think when you come into a gym like this, I mean, when I walked in with the gear to set this podcast up, I was like, this, this, the smell, the feel of the gym, the energy you get just walking in there, like you just really want to get about, get about working, don't you? It's, it's that, you cannot... It just excites you, doesn't it? I can't explain it. Yeah, no, no, no. Listen, this is this has got history like you wouldn't believe. This is like, this was, Champs Camp was like, they used to call it the lighthouse, right? Because when all the gang wars was going on back in the day, this used to be the light that was always on up here. And you'd have gangsters coming in here. You'd have these beasts outside. They'd just leave it all to one side and just be in here training and then go back outside. It'd just be on again. It was absolutely mental how Phil Martin and all the guys run it in here, they run it like a proper community and it still is like a community to this day. It's a saviour to a lot of people, including myself. You know, it wasn't just this gym for me. This I only come to Champs Camp maybe four or five years into my career. So this wasn't like the start for me. I started in MMA down the road. Um, and then I'm so glad that I found this place with the history, the heritage. Maurice Core, who's been in here from the first day it opened, still runs the place. You've got all the local community that come in and pass by and it's a beautiful atmosphere. What would you, what advice would you give to people that kind of come from areas like this that have two choices in life? They either go about pursuing the best version of themselves, or they get dragged into what society in that area teaches them to, is the best version of themselves. Or what's your advice? It's difficult, mate. It's really hard. It's it's really hard in these areas because what like if you think about it, if you're not good at football, you can't sing, you can't dance, if you can't fight, school like you, yeah, you can go through school and get out, but. I mean, a lot of my friends now are just still doing exactly what they were doing when I left here sort of thing. And, like, I love some more, I love them all to death, but it's a big world out there, man. It's a big, big world. You said you lived in Australia and all over the place. I've lived all over the world, been all over the world. It's a big place. And, like, sometimes I just wish to myself and uh, all my friends that I grew up with, I just, love to, I just love to take them to Las Vegas and go, look at this, blow your mind. Like, I remember when I first landed there, I went, my mouth's wide open, Dubai, I'm like, just wish that more people got to see that from my area. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think it all comes down to like you know being given the opportunities. But I think the first person to give you an opportunity is yourself. Mm, is true. to is to kind of you know see see for yourself that you want more for yourself, and then when you when you see that you want more for yourself and want more for your life, you can move through it and you can go to different levels. And I just even just driving down some of the streets and parking down some of the streets here, I saw. I saw some so, some people and I thought, do you know what, man? Like, if you just lifted your head up a bit and opened your eyes a bit more, there's, there's so much more for you. But they've got their head down. They're in. They're in their. They're in their grind. Yeah, that's what it is. Like, you you just round here. That's all you know. So yeah. A lot of these guys don't even have passports. Like, people don't even have passports, mate. It's the same in other countries. Or like, I was 
in, I was in some villa in Mexico not long ago, and then there was an Australian girl, and she said, there's a stat in Australia, like 40 or 50% don't have passports. I'm like, what? It's crazy, isn't it? You just don't have a passport. Like, that blows my mind, but yeah. like, I just live in, I mean, we must live in different worlds then. I, th- I, think, I think we do, mate. I think we're both obviously well-travelled now, but yeah, yeah. I, I just want everyone who listens to this, you know, there might be some younger lads and younger women exactly. listen to this that, that gets inspired by your story yeah, today yeah. and just want to change their life. And I think the f- first thing you can do is take yourself out of the environment that you're currently in. Mm. I think that's kind of been my best learning. The best thing I ever did was leave England to see how big the world was. Yeah. Well, I think my first opportunity to get out of here, like was just learning to fight, getting good at fighting and just being so disciplined and dedicated to it. Cause that was my way out. I seen the light at the tunnel. I thought, okay, if I stick with this, there is a way out. And it was like, I used to get in the cage with people. Like, yeah, you really think you're going to beat me, mate? Like, I had such a purpose and a will. And like, back then I was just like, give me anyone. And like, that, you need that inside you, the fire in the belly, the want, the need for more. Like, you can't just turn up there. Like, for example, now I was fighting guys coming over from Brazil. They're coming from the favelas as well. They've got the same mindset. They're like, I'm coming for you as well. So, do you think you're really going to turn up and beat these people if you've not got it deep in your heart and soul? You are not. So what was it? What, you know, when you obviously got into this and you got into training, you would have met this. There would have been one trainer to you that would have stood out and he, yeah. would, have, he would have told you about yourself and he would have told you, he would have put that, instilled what I call that self-belief. Because mm-hmm. obviously people believe that boxers, MMA fighters have confidence and it's not. It's an ingrained self-belief that's mm-hmm. taught to you by a coach. Do you remember the first coach who gave you that ingrained self-belief within yourself? Well, my first ever coach was Danny Ram at my side and he was a very inspirational man. He was, he, I still see him to this day. Every coach I've ever had, I still speak to. I've not fallen out with any of them. I just don't. That's like, I just, I owe them all so much because they took a young kid off the estate and instilled and turned him into a man and turned him into world champion. So they all had a little part to play. Um, but Danny Ram and Tony Musa, uh, well, Tony Musa especially, we, we've done 90% of my career together. Um, he was more like, he's more like a guru, sensei, father, figure, mentor, like you name it, it's all rolled into one. And he was the one that really believed in me and told me. And I remember one time he said something to me, right? And I was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, the only people that are really going to give you a fight are like Holloway and all that. I said, this was like when I was just like starting. I said, Holloway? He was like champion at the time. Like, yeah, top three, top four. That's the only ones that are going to give you problems. And then I remember when training in America with Dominic Cruz and all that, and I was living at Dominic's house for a, a year or two. And he turned around and said the same thing. Yeah, now they're the only ones that are going to give you problems. I thought, wow, these guys think I'm that good. You know what I mean? And these are like, well, he's like, Dominic's one of the best ever. So... And then I was like, maybe they're right. And then it only took, I didn't even believe in myself enough then. I was just still winning fights, winning fights. It was only like when I started beating some big names, like I beat Bilal John, a contender, still you see, I beat some big names and I thought, wow, maybe them guys are right. And then once I did start believing in myself, it was, it was dangerous. It really was. What was the initial target then when you started to realise in your young MMAs that you're good and you've got something in you and you've got a little bit of that nasty nouse that you need when you get in that ring or get in that cage? Did, did, was it was it then you thought to yourself right you had one eye on the UFC or what 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 was what was the pinnacle to you? Well, I'll be honest. When I first started it, MMA wasn't a thing. There was only the UFC or Pride. That was it. And then I'll be honest. I never had a goal to be there. Or anything. I just used to always take it one opponent at a time. Like used to fight like three times a year, and they'd send me over a name. I'd train for them for months, 
and I'd just be so obsessed with that person. I wasn't thinking about the next fight. I wasn't thinking about the UFC. I wasn't thinking about five years. I was thinking about, I don't know, Dave Lee, for example. Right, Dave Lee. I've got Dave Lee in six weeks. Right, he moves like that. And then I would just be so focused on him and I'd be drilling so much for him. And then I would beat him. I would party for a week, have some time off. And then they would send me another name through and then I would obsess on that name. And I wasn't so much obsessed on two, three, four fights in. I would just like write him now. And then he would go away. I would party again. I'd have my little routine. And then I'd be back in the gym. And I'd have my little routine. And that works all the way up until, yeah, like still to this day pretty much. I've got my little formula. So, so this formula that you speak about, can you kind of really break that down so that the audience can really understand how you're applying that formula to success? Okay. Well, I think it's a lot easier when you're getting in a fist fight to be motivated than, than a football match or a singing competition or a dance. But I imagine what you're saying in your formula can be applied to business, can be applied to any goal in life. So if you could break it down. Yeah, so what I mean by that is <clears throat> when they send over that name to me and they tell me you've got eight weeks to prepare for this name, everything in my life goes on hold, everything. Don't be phoning me to go out. No, I don't want to eat at that restaurant. I don't want to do anything that is... I'm solely focused on this name and what I have to do to beat this name. If it does not involve me beating this name, I don't want to know about it. So I am up in the gym two hours here yeah, in the morning, at the night, two hours. I'm on my way here. If someone phones me and says, no, 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 we haven't got to do that. I'm, I'm on a mission, mate. It's like a, it's like a mad mission. Like, then I'll go home, I'll eat and I'll sleep. I'll wake up. I don't give a fuck if I'm tired. I'm going to that second. I'm not missing sessions. And I'm eating exactly what I should be eating. I'm sleeping exactly when I should be sleeping. And absolutely nothing is getting in the way of me beating that guy. Once I beat that guy, we'll have a little chat about whatever you want to do. But until that's done, that's my sole purpose and focus in life is each name one at a time. How long have I got to do it? Structuring my training camp. I know what type of training I've got to do at what part of the camp. So last four weeks, it starts getting intense. Now really don't speak to me. Now like my phone's on aeroplane mode. Like don't even chat to me now. I'm not focused and I'm in here. There's sweat all on the mirrors here and all that. And I'm the last one in and the first one in and I'm the last one out and that's it and I'm just focused on this person. I love that because you can literally apply that to any area of your life. Mm -hmm. It's like, you, and you, what, you, what you're saying there is like you can literally change your life in eight weeks. Everyone says it's a year, six months, but really it's just like eight weeks of conscious effort on just that one goal that you want to achieve can bring it about in your life. It's essentially well, what you're saying. That's why I tell people, do a white collar do these, you know, these white collars that are around now and it's yeah. like three months and they're like, think I should do it, Brent. And then like one of my best mates, Reese did one. Um, he just came to me after he went, I've got so much more respect for you, you know. So why after doing what you, living your life for three months, I used to just think you lived the dream. We'd all be at work from nine to five and we just think, look at him running around. He's, he's out in the sun, he's eating. When I actually did what you did and then fight night, the nerves and, and some other man trying to really hurt you, he said, fuck me. Like, how do you sleep at night and how do you keep composed and, that's just what I was gifted with. That's just my gift. He's got his gift. I've got mine, and that's just how I look at it. But it was a, f it was a few, quite a few fights into your career that someone said to you, I believe, you know, you're training your body, you train your body intensely, you're preparing for these fights, and I think you'd noticed it a few times through the fights that you weren't finishing people off the yeah. way that you wanted to finish people off, or the way that you knew in your heart that you could finish people <laughs> yeah. off in that, in that, in that cage. And I think someone said to you at the time. What are you doing? You, you, you know, fighting is a mental game, yeah. and people say it's ninety percent mental and ten percent physical, which is what most people say. Yeah. 
what are you doing to work on your mind? And your response at the time was, fuck all. Yeah. So how do, when you actually think about that statement that you made back then, what did you put in process and put in place to, to make that better for you? So what happened was, it was my first season at PFL and I won my first two fights, but they were very hard fights. Um, and I was miles better than these two guys, but I just wasn't, I would, there would be shots that I can see, but wasn't throwing it. And I'd be very hesitant on certain stuff. And I remember like winning the fight, but was going in the change room and being fuming. And my, my coach is like, right, we'll sit down after this. We let it settle for a day or two. And he said, I know what it is. He went, there is absolutely nothing more physical we can do. You train like a lunatic. Like you're in here every day. You die at some point, everything's on. So clearly it's not physical. There's something mental going on. So what we're going to do, we're going to get you the best mental coach we can find and we're just going to tap into whatever it is. I said, do you think? He said, no, I know. I can see it. I train you. I see you spar. I know what's going on. All right, let's do it. So I found two different guys. I had two, mate. I didn't do one. I had two. I had Vinnie Shawman, who I actually got hypnotised. So I did that. That was interesting. And then I had a guy who I still use to this day, Bruce. Um, Bruce has been phenomenal. And they've both been good because... He, could, he, he told me this story, Bruce. He said he went to a gym in America, a famous gym. And he went round the gym and he said to them all, how much mental and how much physical? He said everyone in the gym, pretty much the average number was about 85 mental, 90, like he said. Physical. He said, so what are you doing for your mental then? Not one person in the gym was doing absolutely anything. And he was like, well, you train all this physical stuff. Why aren't you training your mind? And they were like, oh, everyone's just looking at him. And I thought, what a fucking good point that is. And the stuff that you would go through with this mental coach is just not what you think. It's just like, all right, what's the perfect fight week for Brendan? What needs to happen? What are the tick boxes? And we'll just write it all down. Stuff simple. Just before you're about to walk out from the curtain, remind yourself why you do it. Just like things like that. We like started using it all and went from there to there. Could you break down that hypnotization and, and, and what kind of happened and how that can reconditioned your, your mind and opened you up? Yeah, Vinny... It was like, it was, I've been, I've been hypnotized, hypnotized, hypnotized twice. First time was years and years ago. Um, and it didn't really take effect, I'll be honest. Second time was before the semifinals two years ago. And I went round to his office and then I told him what, what was going on. I was so, being so hesitant. What, so, what, so what, just, just that you were too hesitant. Yeah, hesitant. To, yeah. What's going on, Vinny? I'm hesitant in the ring. I'm smashing people, inspiring them. My bag work, my, my track times are amazing. Everything's good. What's going on? Don't worry about it. And then it was just like, he told me, I was, it was one fight, it was against Chris Wade, and he just explained exactly how the fight was going to go. You're going to walk in there, you're going to feel the feet, he's going to be slow, you're going to be fast. And he just went through the whole fight in my head and how it was going to feel and everything. And it went exactly, no, I mean to a T, exactly how he said it was going to go, it went like exactly to like, it was pretty scary. And after it, I rang, it was like, fuck me, that was scary. I even told you, didn't I? So, I mean, what more can you say about that? That's that's how it went. And with him combined with Bruce, Bruce was more day-to-day, day-to-day, day-to-day. This was just a hypnotised one, boom, on the job. Bruce was like, you're more day-to-day things. And, and you know, like I'd say to him, I'm feeling like this today, Bruce. And he would actually explain why you're feeling like that from a, psychological point of view like you're feeling like this because of this and this chemical is being released in your brain can you give me an example um let me think of one let me think of an example with bruce um oh yeah okay got a good one 
So I used to think I needed certain things in able to perform to the best of my ability. Like what? Like I needed this time on the track. I needed my heart rate to be 30 on the Wednesday. I had mad little things in my head that I needed. And I remember one time it was 31. And I went and had the best performance at 31. He went, so now we've established that you don't need anything. You think you need all these things in order to be the best Brendan, but you actually don't. You've made these things up in your head. And we now have evidence. <laughs> it's crazy. Is that not crazy? I, I, it just makes me think how many people that listen to this podcast are going through their life right now where they think they need certain things in their life yep. to hit certain other things in their life. Exactly. And Do you know what the biggest one is? Go on. Partners, relationships. I need that woman. I need that man. I need this family set up. And they stay in it for 10 years and they shouldn't even be in it. And like they rely on certain people or they rely on people saying you shouldn't do that. Like, silence the noise, silence the noise. You get one life and it's over. If you want it, what the fuck? Like, your life's over soon, just go for it. What, you're going to fail, but I bet you become a better person on the way, even if you do fail. I think something I can fully resonate with you is, like, even with this podcast journey that I'm on and you with your fight journey, um, as you can see and as you know from me already mm. uh, I'm in the relentless pursuit of that as you're in the relentless pursuit of the fight game and when you're in the relentless pursuit you kind of you don't really have time for anything for anything no because like you know I ring you or message you the other day and we're like right we're on for tomorrow yeah yeah cool cool drop everything boom straight in the car blah, 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 and bosh down the road mm. you have to be like that if you really want it and the problem the only problem that I've seen in my life and I don't know whether you resonate with this is like Having a girlfriend or a partner would be, I'd be a disservice to them yeah. because I wouldn't be able to be fully present because I, I love this art. I love podcasting like the same way that I see that you love fighting. Yeah. And when you love it that much and you, and you just want to just perform, not just, it's to me to me and you, I think it's not just about the end goal. Yeah. It's about doing the reps and we love doing the reps and we fell in love with that. Yeah. When yeah, you, yeah. And when you fall in love with that, that's when you that's when you're like, people people are like, fucking hell. Like you know, they, 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 they see that you can't be fully present with them. You cannot give anyone else anything, really. Like the amount of weddings of my best mates that I've missed, the amount of funerals, and it's just a list that you wouldn't believe. Yeah, that I had to do, I had to miss, I had to sacrifice all that. As hard as that is, relationships that have just that should have gone great have just gone down the pan because I'm in a relentless pursuit of greatness. And in order to be great, you have to make sacrifices. I remember I had a chat with somebody, well, someone close to me, Adam Waterfield. I remember I said to him, but I don't get to do this and this. He went, yeah, but not everyone gets to be great. Like I was worrying about little, they're not it's little. powerful statement. It is like, not everyone gets to be great, mate. And I'd be moaning about the weight cut, like not eating for a, a few days and like training. Hard. Yeah, but not everyone gets to be great. And I was like, fuck but it's so physically and mentally demanding. It takes a very special type of person to be great in anything. And anyone that is great in anything, podcasting, sport, you name it, I just have a different level of respect for him because I know how hard it is. To get to the top 1% is hard. To get to the top 0.1%, which is the pinnacle of of whatever game that you're in, is the ultimate. Mm -hmm. And the difference between the top 1% and that top 0.1% 
is fucking everything. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of whatever art you're performing, that is all the one percent that you're not doing. That is driving past the petrol station and not having the chocolate bar. That yeah. is going for that morning run instead of you know yeah. having having a, a woman over the night before. That is going to bed at nine o'clock at night. That is everything. Like just even just one of those nights. That's that's those one percent that we're talking about here it's that make it everything. I'd just be around world champions before I was a world champion. And I remember just be like, they'd be like, even they'd be looking at me like, this kid ain't normal. I'd just be in the gym forever. Ever. And ever. And I'd be just like, does this kid ever go home? Like, what is he doing? Like, and I can't even explain what it was because I was almost at the point of no return and detriments because I was overtraining and I was just like, now I've learned a bit now I'm older, but I was that in pursuit that I didn't care and I wanted to show everyone around me and anyone that's ever believed in me or what was going on, listen, I am here and I will train myself into the ground. I will be the most prepared man in that arena. And do, do you know what? I want, I want you to help prepare this audience for whatever they're trying to pursue in their life. Is there any techniques that, that Bruce has taught you that you could impart on this audience so that they can implement them today? Um, to get their mind sharper and, and, their, and them firing. Do you know what it is? Like... I think step by step, it has to be done. So let's say, I don't know, let's say you've just got a normal job. Yeah, you're nine to five, but you really want to be a painter. You do it in your spare time. You're painting pictures, right? You're coming on from work, you're painting them, you're painting them, you're painting them. This isn't just something you can finish work and do 10 minutes of painting and get your head down and think that that painting is just going to happen. You have to be finishing work and your sole goal, no matter what kids you've got or family or anything that's going on, I'm finishing work at six. From six to midnight, I'm painting. And I ain't listening to anything else. And until I don't have to do my nine to five anymore, I'm painting. If I believe I'm that good and everyone around me believe I'm that good at painting, and this is what I've been put on this earth to do is paint. And I genuinely believe that, but I need to pay bills. Fair enough. I'm going to paint every hour that God sends that I'm not in work. Paint, paint, paint. And one day, guess what? Someone's going to pick up your painting and go, yeah, you're good at painting. And you, that nine to five then disappears. Then you're on the real journey. You've got a little bit of savings. Your paintings are starting to knock about. Then someone big picks it up. Then someone buys it for a lot of dough. Next thing, you're into the next level. And you don't have to work. Now money's not a thing. But you had to do them hours after work and sustain yourself. When your mates want to go out for a drink, when you just, no, there's loads of social events going on. It's summer. The barbecues are out. It's not even like that. There's six hours after work. You're painting for them six hours. And that's the only way I can really put it across. That's just a small example. But that's, that's how you know you're different. Because at the end of the day, it's like this podcasting game. There's a lot of this. There's thousands of podcasts coming out every week now. I see them starting. But, uh, but they don't even know why they started when they start. And I think you have to know inherently why before you even get out the gate True. and get into it. Like if you don't know why you're doing it and what and what it's about for you, why does painting mean so much to you? Why does podcasting mean so yeah, much yeah. to me? Why does fighting mean so much to you? We we all know. I'll, I'll, my 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 why statement is to help people break patterns and flip perspectives in their life, their mindset, and their business to help them move forward i know my wife's statement and i know it every day and because i do exactly. that i can get in the car and i can drive three and a half hours to you mm -hmm. and i can get it done and i think you've had a, a similar why statement in your life you're like you know what? i want to be a world champion. i want to be the best i can be i want to i want to fucking absolutely i'm i'm gonna die so i'm gonna have it have it large while i'm here and just go after it you know and 
I think another thing is, do you know how many people that I've actually trained with over my 16, 17 years that have been well better than me, but they just haven't got the mind to go with it? Do you know how many footballers I've grew up with that should have been playing for England now? Do you know how many musicians that I've heard sing at parties and just gone, they've got this talent, but they haven't got the hard work that goes with it. So if you've got that talent and you genuinely have that talent inside you and you waste it, that is a disservice to yourself and to the higher power. It really is. Yeah. Like whatever it is, that you really burns, it's a burning desire inside you and you know you're good at it. You might be 35 now or 30, 35. How long do you really think you've got left to make this happen? You haven't got long, so get. you just got to get on with it. I don't want to hear, and then your bird or, or, or someone says, no, but you're going to stay with me tonight. I'm going to go and watch a film at the cinema and all that stuff just gets in the way of what you're really destined to do. It really does. These, yeah. these life factors, they just get in the way. I, 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 it pains me to think about it, but I think I'm destined for a, to be single my whole life because of how much I love this game. Yeah, yeah. Because I love this art, mate. I want to be able to drop a drop of a hat and just go wherever I want to go. And I just think when you're when when someone else is reliant on you to be solid in yeah. certain areas of your life, I just don't think you can do it. So I, I'm I'm yet to, I'm yet to meet someone that will give me the freedom that I can to fully express like I am right now. I think it's hard. I think I've heard that the other person needs to be on a journey and then you can kind of, but I think, no, that's not really going to work either because they're that destined to go where they're going. Then that ain't going to work, is it? Because she ain't got time for you then. Cause I, th- I, I, th- I, th- I honestly believe, and, and this might, I don't want this to sound uh, any, any misogynistic or whatever you call it, but it's like you kind of, when you're in the pursuit like me and yeah. you are of this ultimate goal that we are and we're, in, we're chasing this ultimate goal, you have to have someone that is in a female that sits in sits behind and wants you to fulfill your goal but 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 it but it ticks her box whilst you're filling her well that's a good one do you know what i mean like like she enjoys supporting she enjoys taking the supporting role in a relationship because she wants she's she her goal is to facilitate you achieving the ultimate goal and they're the relationships i see in these games that we're talking about work everything like i can't i can't go and date the entrepreneur that's got the 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 Forbes 40 or 30 under 30 list because she's out there trying to have a dick swing competition. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like you got to, you, when, once you know that, you know who's for you and who's not for you. You can't have that. It just doesn't work. Yeah, no, it's, they have to really come in and compliment your life. They have to fall into line as mad as that sounds because I ain't going off track for anything or anyone. I yeah. don't care if you are the best girl in the world. If you try and come in and tell me, I've had it before come in and like, yeah, just, do you, you really have to train tonight? Like, it's just, my mate's got this Italian restaurant and say that one more time and you're out. <laughs> and they hear about no Italian restaurant. But, it, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's so true, mate. I, I, I don't know if you can resonate with this. I, I probably presume you've done something similar or many, similar many times, but I was a, at number 90th in podcasts in yep. Australia. And I thought, I'm giving it fucking everything. <laughs> and, I, and I'm number 90 in the country and I'm giving it everything. And then, I, and then I sat there and I said to myself, I questioned myself, but are you giving it everything? What are you not giving it? You, and in my head, my head went to me, in that mind, that voice in your head went, but you're, but you're still sleeping with that chick because yeah. I was seeing this chick. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going celibate. I went celibate. <laughs> he ended up at number three. <laughs> Hundred days did celibate. I ended up at number three in Australia. Shit. So, so that's the difference. So that was the that was the difference for me. It's like just taking even just taking that bit of mind back because I thought to myself, okay, where am I losing time here? I'm losing time on thinking about going on a date or date night. I'm th- I'm losing time 
Um, I'm going to bed later because obviously, you know, extracurricular yeah, like activities that, yeah. that you get involved with and all this other stuff, everything. And, so, and when you, when I cut that out, I was like, it just changed, it just changed the whole trajectory of everything. Well, I even like take it to another level. Like, for example, my last three camps have been flying to Thailand, get a one bedroom apartment on my own, nobody else. I'll go to the gym. I've got all my structured schedule. I've got my yoga. I've got my massages set. I've got my meal preps. They get dropped at the door every morning. I've got everything sorted, like, and nothing, and I mean nothing deviates away from that. Even like, let's say, a Saturday when I've got Sundays off, they might, the boys might go, well, should we nip out for a bit of food tonight? It's like, we're not training. Tonight. Nah, I'm not even on that. I'm not even on that. Like, I'm like, listen, and it, you lose your mind, mate. I started to like go insane with it, like to the point where I was like, this is fucking, I've been doing this since I was, 15 years old you know what I mean what, what, are you, what, what are you doing in those camps though to train your mind is it just visualisation or is it meditation or what or is it a combination of breath work or what, what are you doing to, to, to solve the mind problem I've kind of figured out now that I can't I'm not going to say I can't meditate because that's, that's stupid but I feel like my best form of meditation comes from A. running I've always meditated through exercise so let's say I've got a question in my head that needs answering. I go, right, and I'll just go out for a run. And the, the answer always comes on the run. Do you know what? I, f- I get you on every level because every question that I was trying to answer in the physical realm, I would just go do 12 rounds on the bag, 15 yep. rounds on the bag, and it would answer it. You know, or it would pop to you in, in the third round of sparring. In it mad. And someone you've just slipped a punch and then someone it's just popped in your head. So it's like, and because you have to let go of the question... Yeah, in order, yeah, yeah, in order yeah, yeah. for the world to answer it for you. Because you can't, you can't, sometimes you can't answer things by holding on to them. And then recently, about five years ago, I found Bikram Yoga. And that, that then took me to another level because running gets you to one level. But when you are stuck in a room for 90 minutes at 37 degrees, sweating, really pushing your body to its limit, you're not allowed any phone in there. You're allowed a little, but you're not allowed to talk. I'm on this mat. And I'm 90 minutes, I'm in my thoughts for 90 minutes, stuck in the mirror. And then I started going to another level again because I was already doing it through running. But then it was 90 minutes, 90 minutes of moving meditation, they call it. So, so, so you say you don't meditate, but really on, on the kind, for the kind of runs that I know you're doing in the heat that you're doing them and that Bikram yoga that you're doing, you are meditating. Because yeah, you, no, no, because, yeah. because you are silent in those periods and all, yeah. all, all meditation is is taking a moment to sit with exactly. yourself. Exactly. That's all meditation is. People would wrap it up in all this, all this apps and everything else to make it more difficult, but it's just literally like sitting with yourself. And if you don't think that you can sit with yourself, you should sit with yourself even longer. Yeah, no, and then there's, there's this famous run in Thailand. It's called the Big Buddha Run. I don't know if you've heard of it. Like all the fighters are like, fucking hell, the Big Buddha Run. I used to embrace the Big Buddha Run. I'd be like, Big Buddha Run. I'd be on that thing just... Running up, it's the hardest, like, so physically demanding, mentally demanding, to the point where fighters just won't do it because they know that it will break them. And they think, if I do this and I break, I'm going to lose my fight. But for me, it was like, if I don't do this, I'm going to, like, if I don't get this time and I don't get that, I remember you would be stood at the bottom and, like, two or three fighters come with me, I'd be like, don't talk to me. And I'd just be like, giving it absolutely everything. I'm halfway up the hill, my legs are burning, everything's on fire, you want to quit, the voice is in your head. But you're like... You gonna let? The, do you think your opponent's gonna quit? Do you think he would be quitting halfway up here? Fuck that! And you just get the next bit of energy. But that can also be applied to anything. You want to quit? Like 
starts getting hard, I don't know, you've run out of money now, but you need to find some money to get to this next level of whatever. Find a way. I just, I just think that you've got an innate ability that you've taught yourself over the years of, of talking to yourself and how you talk to yourself, at what point you talk to yourself as well. You know, when that's getting hard and the, the word quit comes into your mind, yep. which it probably often has, yep. if you're honest, you just have a solid word with yourself and crack on and go <laughs> even harder. And I know you because you're a nousy little fucker. Yeah, and yeah. You're like, do you know what? Right, go, bite down on that gum shield. Let's fucking go. And I tell you when I knew that that, that was your MO is when you were fighting in a fight and you, I think it was, I think you've thrown a flying back fist or something like that. You snapped your arm in this fight, yeah. completely broke your arm, gone back to the corner, told your coach you broke your arm. He said to you, he wants to pull you out. And you've gone in there and finished and finished the next round and finished the guy with a kick. So like, walk me through that and, and the kind of mindset you need to get through that. Well, here's what happened. I was, I just lost to Pat Ely. They robbed me on a split decision that I never lost. And that was my big moment. And then I, I flew to Germany to fight this guy who was 11 and old, this Russian fella, Georgian he was actually. And then I'm out there, I'm in the ring, I'm having a great performance, I'm moving around, slick, bang, bang, bang. Next thing, throw a spinning back fist. That's where you turn around and you spin back and he drops his head. And Yeah. Hold on. Now I've got the plate. And that's where the plate is. Um, so what I did is I spam around and he put his head down, it snapped my arm. And I just went, ooh, it just went ice cold. I just felt my arm go cold. And then I tried to, like, my fingers, and I couldn't feel my fingers, and I thought, this ain't good. So this was on the jab then, jab, jab, jab. But this hand's hanging down now, and it's not up. So I'm like, right, so I get to the corner. I said, listen, <laughs> I've broke my arm here. They're like, what? So, yeah, I broke my arm. I said, but don't worry, I've got this. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, we're going to, no, no, no. So I've gone out, back on the jab, back on the jab. Next thing now, he's realised my arm's broke. Or something's going on because I'm not hitting him with the right hand. So he starts headbutting my jab because he's thinking, I'll just go through this jab. So he's headbutting it and I'm thinking, oh my God. But then the right kick comes because he's getting complacent now because he's thinking I've got nothing on this side. Next thing, bang, right head kick. Knocked him out. And um, then the pain, mate. Oh my God. But the pain of defeat was much more in my head. I can't sleep for a long time after I lose. So the pain of defeat was going to be a hell of a lot more than the pain of a snapped arm. In those early days when you're fighting for peanuts, really, you, 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 you're, going, you're going a long, long way, you're going around the country, the world, to fight for fuck all, basically. Yeah. How, do you, how do you keep yourself motivated? I got £150 for my first fight. £150. When did the... And, and when did the <laughs> but but how, did you, how did you stay motivated? And when, and when did the money start to change? See, that's the difference... Um, I've got a famous DJ, mate. I'm going to give him a shout on here, Barlow. And there's something about loving something that much that money doesn't matter. I'll give you an example. I remember we was having a house party, yeah? And he's a famous DJ, gets paid whatever. He gets paid a lot of money for these DJ sets. And I remember that. Everybody went to bed. And I was like, right, it's time to go to bed. He's still on the decks on his own. Yeah. I'm like, mate, let's turn him off. Nah, nah, nah. And he's just, that is what you can't buy. We're making yeah. money on this thing, right? I will stay in here all day regardless of what money I'm making because I am so passionate about this sport and I love it that much that there's, there's no amount that you can put on it that will take that away. So whether it's £150 or £1 million, I'm still in that fight at the same ferocity and I still want to win just as much. So when you were battling along, and you, when, did, when did you get that opening up where you got signed on a contract that actually started to change your life? When was that happen? 
I signed with PFL. Um, what, do you remember what you signed for? Maybe four years. And they gave me $60,000 uh, to sign on. And I, they just said, there you go, that's just for signing. And I was like, wow. That was my first proper paycheck. And then I think it's a pretty well-known story. I bought my mum's house out of that. I didn't buy it in full. It was just whatever was left on the mortgage paid that. And then that kind of went viral. That just went everywhere. Because that was like, fucking hell, that's what he do is. But you see, you're glossing over that a bit. Because I think that kind of doesn't really do justice to what your mum means to you. I know, I know everyone's mum means a lot to them. But I think your mum especially has always believed in you in a way that's probably some mums don't believe in their children. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, 100%. She facilitated the whole thing. Imagine coming home with two black eyes every single night from training. She'd be like, what do you actually do in that place? Like, what is going on in there? I love it, mum. Okay, well, if you love it, I'll back you. Backed it, backed it, backed it, all the way. Um, and it was nice to give back, obviously. Was she happy at the time just because she probably didn't want to see you on the street as well? She was just happy that I'd found my passion. And I know it's a very dangerous passion, um, but her son comes home happy every day chasing a goal out of trouble focused so your your mum then to me sounds like selfless yeah which I think see what I find with a lot of um, people is that their mums they put on their doubts onto their children they put their doubts into their children's heads and their limitations into like into into the child's head and I think what your mum has always done is like it's just gone do you know what you love this, crack on, I'll support you, I'll, I'll back you, whatever you're doing. I think that is a very lost art in this world because it's hard yeah. for a mum who's had a child, who's given birth to a child. Yeah, yeah. You can only imagine... Only child as well. Yeah, only child. It's hard for... for imagine what it's like for that woman <laughs> to give birth to you, love you unconditionally and not want to put her limitations in your head. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, it's a good... like, But again, not many people are doing not many things around here. I was chasing something that was very different. And, like, I think I didn't even bring my mum to a fight until about 14 fights in. And then I just remember I was a big fight in Manchester. Like, I had this local rival. And then I just looked at her, and she's getting older. And I thought, how can I not let you see me perform, win, lose, or draw? Do you know what I mean? So I just said, you know what, mum, you can come to this one. And she was like, what? So about a week before. And she was over the moon. She was just waiting for me to say that. Yeah, you know what I mean? And then she came. Then she didn't miss. And then, can you imagine how it feels like her supporting it and then sitting by the ring when I'm fighting for a world title and a million dollars and she's supported the whole journey and I can just see her and then I bring her in the ring and we have this moment. I mean, it's, it's stuff that money can never, ever buy, really. Yeah, I, I, just, I, just what was it like when you walked in with that? Because obviously she probably didn't know you were going to pay her mortgage off. Yeah, um... How was that moment? I don't know. It was just something that I'd always had in my head that there wasn't that much left on it. And it was like, I was already, I already had good money from fighting. Like, not good, but I was comfortable. Like, how much more do you really need? What's more than your family home? Like, what yeah. What can you put above that? A, a, a watch? A fucking car? Like, what goes above your family home? Really? Like, nothing. That's your family home, what you've lived in, that she's struggled to keep you in. And yeah, you're just going to yeah, yeah. make this money and run off somewhere to the other side of the world and spend it. Yeah. Come, like that, I, don't, I don't even conceive that and in my I, head. I suppose every time you go visit her now, you get, to, you get to see what you fought for. Yeah, yeah. Which is a beautiful thing. You know, you're, 
all, all those early days, all those late nights, all those long runs, all those yeah. trips abroad where you had to sacrifice everything, you still get to see that in the physical world because you didn't just go and spunk the money. You've actually yeah, gone right. home and you've actually facilitated your mum having a better life. Yeah, exactly. No, she's she lives a great life now. Like, you know, she's got her house. I've got her a car. She doesn't have any bills really she just goes to work because she chooses to go work now she doesn't have to do these 12 hour shifts anymore she still doesn't because she's a fucking maniac like me and just loves working loves progressing but she doesn't have to anymore and can you imagine that like we even had a chat the other day about it and she said wow if you did not do this i don't know how i would live like with the bills the cost of living she said i don't know what i would do like actually doing the maths now of what it would be with a mortgage and bills and a car and a like, I don't know what I'd do. And do you know how good that feels? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And that's way better. And that's... Better than anything. Better than anything. And Foot the belt. Uh, Foot, you know, like, how, hearing that is way bigger than any... Like, for a man to do that for the for their mum is the biggest thing you can physically do in life because you've took your mum or... Your mum who's give everything to make you the man you are. I do not... It does not conceive... In my head, these people that do that and run away and live separate lives, have kids and families, and forget about that. Like, I do not want to be around any people like that that are even remotely like that. It's it's a disgrace, really. Yeah, I think I think on the other side of on the other side of the coin with with running away. I mean, sometimes in my life I've run away from 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 even my family, but I was dealing with with traumas that I hadn't yet dealt with. Do you know what I mean? So I I did run away and I. I I obviously came back and I I, th- I love being around my family now. Do you know what I mean? Because I've dealt with the deeper, darker side of myself to be able to facilitate yeah. that. So it's, it's a kind of it's kind of one of these cases. If it, some people need to take themselves away in order to become better, so they can come back and be the man that they should be around their family. I just think that, like, I know people like this that have been brought up well, great upbringings, and then they get to a certain stage and they just disappear. I hear it all the time and like the mums and dads are struggling at home and they're just living some fan- fantasy life somewhere else yeah with a whole new setting and I think fucking hell how can you even sleep knowing that your family is at home struggling and you're living this spectacular life somewhere else it, it actually blows my mind yeah I, th- I think my mum and dad are like retired and and all the mortgages are all done and everything but but the but the one one of my goals is to pay my sister's mortgage off I mean that's been my goal for for a long time since I've been in Australia. But I had to first get rid of my own, and you know, so I could facilitate getting rid of hers in the future. And I'm definitely going to do that. Um, hopefully, in the next three years, I'll, yeah. I'll be able to. I'll be able to do it. But you've just got to get your head down and generate in ways that you don't even know you can generate to be able to facilitate these things. I mean, these things that we're talking about are not are, are not small chunks of change. You know, I know. But then, like you say, on the flip side, I do know that not everybody has the relationship that I have with my mother and father, like, people don't have it, that it's so like, I'm saying this, but what if you had a bad upbringing? What if you didn't get what you wanted? What if they didn't support you and then yeah. you make the money? Then what? Yeah. Then it gets difficult. Then there's, there's different sides of the camp yeah, exactly. on, on this one. That I suppose the only way to truly to truly embrace that is on a case-by-case basis and, and, and understanding of the fact that all people are different and, you know... For every hardship you had growing up where the money wasn't there, you had unconditional love, which exactly. unconditional love, when you feel it the way that you felt it, is what kind of leads you down the track to success anyway. And you True. and you probably realised that, you know, yeah, money would have been great. A little bit more money would have been great when you were younger, but 
I don't think you would have changed nah, your would game. I thought, are you mad? I would never change it. You know why? Because when I was in here eight years ago and I was skint, not skint, but just getting by, it did not change the person that sat here now in front of you that has money now. That just it doesn't change me as a person. Whereas people, it does. It, they completely lose themselves in it. They become totally different people and heard a saying that's true. Money doesn't change you. It just projects who you really are. And I think if you was a bad guy, but you had no money and then you get money, you're still going to be that bad guy. You're just going to like, that's what I see now. Well, it's, it's like, you know how people say they're going to give money when they've got more money. Yeah. That's kind of a false concept because you should, you should give what you can give now. I mean, even if it's just a pound out of your 10 pounds, you're still giving, you're still giving, aren't you? If you can't give at the level you're at now, you're never going to give at this bigger level that you think you're going to give at. This is why I'm always conscious of the fact of like, you know, how much have I given away this month? How, am I, how, who have I helped? How, how, have I, how have I helped move some people forward? Okay, just give, give that person a call, chuck them 200. Oh, that child's going away on that trip and I know his single mum, for argument's sake, oh, just give them you know, a hundred quid for that. And then, do you know what I'm saying? You can just, you can just help people along the way, but you've got to be allowed to, you know, if you want to attract more into your life, you've got to be able to let go at all, at all stages from whatever stage you're at now to whatever stage you're going to, you have to let go of money. Agreed. Um, and I've just recently been on uh, away in Mexico and I got invited there for a friend of mine and he is the most selfless person I've ever met. I realised I don't do half as much as I should after being around him and his family and how selfless this guy was. I was like, fuck me. Everything was for his family. And everything he did was for his family. And there was no expense spared for his family. And money was put aside to have a holiday. And he was having it. And everyone who was around him, 12 people were talking. He yeah. was like, no. And I was thinking, no, nah, I'm not doing enough. And yeah. sometimes little lessons pop in like that along the way. But and like, I've, I've took it on board. And, and I'm like, thanks for that lesson. You've given me another lesson. Do you know what I mean? And I think, I think that's the level of consciousness you're at you're at now where you can see other people that are, there'll always be people that are doing more in all areas of life, earning more money, giving more money, everything else. But it's about being consciously aware of, okay, just that little reminder to say, do you know what? I'm just going to put that little bit of extra effort in. I'm just going to try and add a little bit more. And And I'm conscious now. And now I'm like, okay, I'm now very conscious of what I've just, that was a lesson that was sent to me. I've realized it. And I'm like, obviously I'm not on his level of wealth yet, but I've realized that, in order to get, you need to give. I knew that anyway, and I do as much as I can, but I just realise it's not enough. And I'm like, I'm seeing it on another level of spectrum now. I'm like, okay, so that's something I'm working on. And I've been picking up, like, okay, another another lesson I learned recently. I went and got stem cells in Tijuana. And I went down there and uh, chips, so it's called. It's in Tijuana, fantastic place, curing all sorts. And out of the 25 people, 24 of them had serious things wrong with them. Backs, legs, stuff, debilitating injuries where they went there. I was going for general, just going there. I had a lot of fighting, had a lot of fights, like, like get my body better. And it's good just for general well-being. But I realised I was the only one that was there for that. And these other people that were there would get out of bed every morning in pain and go to bed every night in pain. And I thought, wow, I'm here just for general well-being. But I'm sat next to a guy that's can't even play with his kids because his back's that sore. And I was like fucking hell, I've got full health. And I'd even forgot about that. It took them to be around me to realise, fucking hell. So I am, I'm taking lessons along the way. Every Everything now I'm taking as a lesson. My mum and dad live in a really nice village, right? And it's uh, at the top of the village, there's this 
there's this beautiful house that's bigger than all the other houses in the village. And I went for a walk. I, I, I'm conscious now that I want to spend as much time with my parents as possible. Yep. So I went on, a, I, I, I go every day. Even after this interview, I'll drive back three and a half hours. I'll go around their house and we'll have, yep. a, we'll have a walk around the village and the countryside. Because I like to do that every day while I'm here. Because nice. I don't know, you, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Do you? Exactly. So you just want to make time for them. We walk around the other day and my dad goes, oh, you know, Rex used to own that own that house he's telling me about rex this that the other he says do you know what he says fucking that bloke was worth x amount of million he said he i was on his driveway one day and he rex turned to me and he said do you know what i'd i'd give all these millions up to have your health uh, to be as fit as you are alan and i was like and and, it, and it, my dad was telling me that to impart the story on me to say do you know what you can have as much money as you want but if you don't have your physical health if you, if you can't walk if you can't do the basic things you'd give everything up that you own just to get that back so it's like we really have to be consciously present of what we've truly got and it's just like you've just realized that in that lesson that you've well i think mentioned. there's a there's a true saying in it people give up their health for wealth but then they get the wealth and realize they only need health yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah. that's no more truer than my game i've had 44 fights a lot of fights against a lot of hard people took a lot of hard shots a lot of hard training so i've give up the health for wealth and now i'm welfare like i'm still yeah, in that middle ground you yeah, get what yeah, i'm saying yeah but you, you you're in that ground where it's like you're passionate about fighting so you still want to pursue it but sometime in the next two or three years yeah, yeah. You, you have to have you have to sit down with yourself and say do you know what i want to walk away from this yeah. on top yeah, yeah exactly right and that's a hard question for a fighter and nearly every fighter goes on too long and yep. you've seen it, and you and I know in your head you'd have probably said that isn't going to be me, Frankie boy. Yep. I, I'm not going to go on too long, and and you might go on a year too long, and they're the shots that fuck you. Agreed. They're mm. the shots that you shouldn't have took. Um, and I actually got knocked out in my last fight. It's the first time in my whole life I've been knocked out. I've never even been rocked since I was 15. I've never even been rocked. I've been hit hard, but I've never been like, oh, I don't know where I am. I'm getting that was a like I was like. Did that actually just happen to me? And that was a, that was like a that was a wake up call. What did it teach you about yourself? Just like you're not invincible at all. Don't matter how hard you train. There's always that shot. You zig when you should have zagged. And like we're in such a a game of fine lines that like the guy I fought was 21 and five. Like he's fought everyone all over the world. Like. These are high-level, world-class, hungry athletes. Margins. You're in a game yeah. of margins, and if the Same. and if the margin ain't running well for you that day, you can get cleaned up. And that's what happened. And big life lesson again. I've had a lot recently. I've had a lot back to back, but I'm taking them all on, and I'm enjoying the process. I'm at a good place. Obviously, I want to just touch on obviously where your life truly changed. Obviously, you know, you sign that contract, you pay your mum's house yeah. off, you go on this, you go on this tour, you end up fighting in this tournament for a million-dollar purse you end up winning this tournament. You get this million dollars dropped in your bank. Yeah. I mean, talk to me about that whole process and and f- find it. And that's when your life truly changed. Yeah, well, I, I did it the first year. I got all the way to the semi-final. And I lost to the winner on a split decision, this Russian guy. Could be his best mate. He's, what was he now? 21 and 0. We had a great fight, very close. He won it. Had to go home, lick my wounds. Actually, you know what I did? This is, how, this is how nutty I am. They rang me and said, will you be the reserve? We'll pay you $10,000. you just got to turn up, make weight. And if anyone pulls out of the fight, you're in. 
Now, for me to make weight is the hardest process in the world. Like, it's 20 pounds. It's like training every day. And I was like, yep, I'll be ready. And I just trained every day like I was going to be in that fight, even though there was a 0.1% chance. I turned up there, made the weight. Nobody pulled out, obviously. And I took that 1.1% chance because I'm in the game of chances. Then I flew back here. And then a local boxing promoter rang me and said, bearing in mind, I'd just had three fights back to back. Then I'd gone and made weight. And then I'd come back here and they said, six weeks, will you box at the MN Arena? Another one for the bucket list. Yeah, of course I will. Took it. Come out with the whole Champs Camp gear on, the whole yellow thing, all the old Champs Camp lads boxed. Had a great fight. Ticked another one off the list. Then I was like, right, watch next year. Came back. Won my first fight, won my second fight. And then in the semi-finals, I had a grudge match against the favourite, Chris Wade. I was a three-to-one underdog. He came over to London. 6,000 people. And I was like, everyone was there for me. And that was the big moment. That was like, make or break. You're going to make it or you're going to fall here. And I went out and just put a fucking clinic, battered him, pillar to post, surprised myself even. And then I knew then, I thought Bubba Jenkins can't beat me. I just knew the guy after could not beat me. And uh, went home, trained like a lunatic and went and just put on the performance of a lifetime in the final, knocked him out. Fairy tale ending on that fight. And when you get that, when you get that belt and you, you stood there in the ring and you just come into terms with the fact that you've just put a million dollars in your bank and they say to you, give us your bank details. <laughs> <laughs> like, walk me through that because like, I, 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 I've never had a million dollars in a day go in my bank. Like just, just, just on the back of something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'd already made good dough because don't forget they were paying me for every fight anyway. So I'd already had good dough but then I was like, a million just overnight. It's just... And I, th- I think... Not many people get to see a million clean drop in overnight. And what else is weird is everybody knows it's all over. You can't hide that you're a millionaire because everybody fucking knows it's all over Instagram. They're promoting the life out of this big thing. And then it's got good and bad points. What, what did it teach you about people in that moment when you, when you came into money in the public domain? It's just good and bad. It's it's hard. Give me yeah. some of the good and some of the bad. I want I want I want I want I want I want people to understand what happens in situations like that. All I ever wanted, and I've got now, is freedom. I didn't. I just didn't want to work. I just wanted to be get up and train and be able to live a life like this for the rest of my life. I didn't. I didn't buy a Ferrari. I didn't buy. Well, I did buy. I bought an apartment, but everyone needs somewhere to live. Um, I've not really done anything flashy with it. I've just been like right invested it and I've been like as long as I don't have to get a job the rest of my life I'm that's I'm so content with that so how are you investing that money to make sure that you don't have to have a job property um I've got a very good network in Manchester of people and in Dubai who are helping me out and putting me in the right direction and so you, you're putting most of your your money into property and safe assets like that. property and assets just assets yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. just, just anything, assets. anything that pays you basically yeah, trying to make it residual, so turn it over and even if it's like, and then it was getting to a point where it's like, all right, well, what do you want now? Ten million? Don't become that guy either. Like, what do you want now? Twenty million? Do you want a bigger boat, a bigger house? So I'm not going to be that guy either because that can happen, mate. And I know how it can happen because I felt it a few times, honestly. So I come back from Australia, right? I move into the, to to my apartment. I fill it full of furniture and all the, all the drubbings and everything. So it's nice, beautiful. Owned the apartment, paid it off when I was 30. Wicked. So I'm sat there in the apartment the other day and I'm like, you've got more in you than this, Frankie boy. You, you, you got, you, you, 
this is you taking the foot off the gas if you do this. So I sold inside two weeks. I sold absolutely everything other than a chair, the Wi-Fi box, a table, a bed, my laptop, my journal, and my phone. So I've sold everything. I've got nothing other than my podcast gear and that. That's it. That's all, that's all I own now. I've sold everything. And do you know how much clarity you get living in an apartment with, where all you can do is go sleep, get up, go train, come back, sit at the desk, and go and try and make money, book podcasts, and that's all you have to do. You don't have to think about anything else because you just talk about you just you can't sit on the sofa because you don't own one. Yeah. You can't watch TV because you don't own one. Yeah, yeah. You can't do, you can't fucking do nothing other than what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. And I think that's uh, is that the kind is that the kind of setup that you have in your Why do you think I take myself away from from any luxury? I take myself away from my family, my friends. I take my, myself away from absolutely everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sat in a one bedroom apartment in Dubai. I mean, in uh, Thailand, just training all day because. How can I sit in a nice apartment with a nice car with everyone around me and still perform to the best of my ability? I just don't think... So you people to, do, yeah. though. A lot of fighters do. I see it. They've got the whole family set up and everything's great and, and they're performing. They're outperforming everyone. I just... I'm not that guy. I have to be in that. Maybe I, th- I don't. I think you need... I think you perform best under putting yourself under the hardest conditions you yeah. can yeah, in yeah. the current situation that you've got. So the hardest situation to you is to go and train seven hours a day in Thailand yeah. in a small but uh, thing, see no one other than the people you're training with and just get your meals delivered. I think that that's the hardest situation you could perhaps put yourself in now. You can't you can't put yourself in the same position you was when you were broke coming yeah. off the estate because yeah, yeah, you've yeah. already you've already so- solved that problem. Yeah. But you you're just you, you just put yourself in the hardest situation that you can at the time, I suppose. Yeah. Where do I think I can be the best version of myself? That's what I think. And I know that I'm not the best version of myself when I'm surrounded by comfort. What are the areas of your life where you're asking yourself that question right now and finding it hard to figure out the answers? Um, can you elaborate? Yeah, where, where, are you, where are you saying to yourself, do you know what, where's, where am I not the best version of myself right now and how can, and how can I become that? Good question. I just think, um, I just think, I don't really look at how, at, at the negative stuff. What I do think is though, like, I know that I can perform to the best when I've got the least. If that makes sense. Yeah. I could be the best with the least. So, when I do go to Thailand, I hate to keep going back to Thailand because really, when I do go there, and I'll be phoning like my best mate Josh or these people. I'll be ringing them. I'll be going, fucking hell. Two, three weeks in, I'm like, the clarity of mind that I have got right now, the level of focus, the person that I am in these moments, I just love it because I'm a different person. I'm, I'm, everything's clean. I'm on the water. I'm on the food. I'm on the, the supplement. Like Everything's just in line. And when you're like that, you just feel invincible, don't you? You just feel yeah. like I could run through a wall right now. And that's, that's how I feel in training camp when it's all going good, the sparring and all that. And and then you get on the flight to the fight 10 days out and you're like, you just feel fantastic because you've done it, you ticked all the boxes. And you you run your training weird, in my opinion, compared yep. to a lot of other fighters. And, and Because you do your own training and train yourself for like six weeks and then bring your trainer in like two, three weeks before the fight day or something like that. Right, so that's because... I don't feel like I get the best version of myself in Manchester. He doesn't want to leave Manchester, which is fair. He's got a family and all that going on. So we've come to a happy medium, whereas we're on the phone every day. I send my sparring, I send everything. I've got great coaches in Thailand, John Boy and 
Woody and all, Frank Hickman and all them. And they're all on the phone. We're all in a WhatsApp group. We're all corresponding every day. And then he takes the lead when I get to the fight week because I feel like when I get to the fight week and me and him are just know each other inside out. And then it works well. I mean, yeah, would I, would I advise it for anyone else? Absolutely not. But I have found a formula for me, which is a strange one. Because didn't, didn't you end up in Darren Till's corner one time being, being his lead in his lead man one time. It was a proper random one. I was reading about it on the on the on listening about it on the way here. I was like, I didn't I didn't even know this happened. But apparently you, you stepped in for his trainer or something like that. Yeah, me and Darren are close and we did a camp together and then uh at the end of the camp, it was actually the million dollar camp we did. He had his apartment of mine, we'd just be training all day. And then I become really close to him. I've known him for years anyway, we've been friends, but we come really close on that trip. We train together every day. And um, mad as a cat, and he, yeah. And at the end of it, he just went, Would you mind coming and calling me for the fight? I was like, Absolutely not. Why would I? I was like, I'm already in America, like, I'm already here. I've just won my belt. And then I ended up, this is how mad I am. I ended up thinking, Right, I've got 10 days to this fight. What can I do? I ended up just getting an RV and driving Route 66, just drove across, straight across to Vegas, and then cornered him. <laughs> and <laughs> as so, you do, what was, what was that like though? Your first corner. As a as a lead trainer, stepping in was you know uh, in a big fight for Darren and like being being his corner. What was it? What was that like? I is, used it, to, is it not a little bit overwhelming? No, like, I, I used to own a gym. I used to own a gym in Manchester. It's now called Manchester Top Team, but before it was called All Powers. And I raised a lot of good fighters. I was very good at coaching, very good at getting my point across. And I think Darren realised that during training camp, without me even trying, he just thought, yeah, yeah, you got a level head on you. You know what you're talking about. Because I'd watch you sparring and say this, this and this. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd be on the same page. Um, and he trusts me. That's a big one. Trust is a big one. So then at the end of it, when he said it, I hated cornering him, if I'm honest. So like, I, I love the guy that much that I hated to see him lose. And like, feel like a part of you's in there when, you, when your boy's yeah, in there. Yeah, a part yeah. of you's in the cage. And like, I just remember walking out and thinking, oh, cause I just wanted him to win so much. I mean, I know his girlfriend, I know his kids. And I'm like, fuck. And it's different when you corner someone you truly class as a real friend. It's, it's a very difficult job, but I'm glad I did it. And, you know, we didn't get the result that night, but this is the way MMA is. It's fickle. You zig when he should have zagged, and this is what happened, and we've both been caught recently. And it is what it is. You just live to fight another day. It's, it's, a, it's a fighting paradox, isn't it, that you, you can always be self-critical and analyse yourself from a point of view, it's like oh, I shouldn't have took that shot, I shouldn't have done that. But however the however the cloth lands on that day is however it's meant to land, and it work when you look back at your life, it, it it kind of you can kind of see why those pieces fell where they fell. But at the time, I was sure it's fucking painful. For you. No, it's hard. Losing's hard. Losing yeah. is really hard because it's like them eight weeks that you train every day. You're just focused on I'm going to beat this guy, and then it doesn't happen, and then you're like, well, that's not how it should have gone. Then you have to start again. You have to pick yourself back up. All the people around you, and like it's hard. But but you you probably learnt a lot about yourself in your first loss, and just having to sit there and 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 yeah. and learn. Okay, who is Brendan right now? Who am I? How am I going to come back from this? You know that those are the, probably the questions you sat there and ponder yourself. Now it's just a pinch of salt. Yeah, I'm 28 and five now. Like I've been around. I fought everyone. I've done what I've done. I'm like. I just take a loss. The next day I woke up and I just moved on. There's What's a point in dwelling anymore. There's a rumour going round that the UFC are, are back sniffing round and trying to sign you and stuff like that. 
Is that is that true or is, have I got that wrong? I think, I don't know, I think there's always been talks and there's always been things going on, but if I'm honest, I'm really happy at PFL. PFL have changed my life completely. I'm, I'm loyal to them and like, yeah, would it have been nice? I fought there before, I've got the gloves on my wall, full of blood, full of shorts, like I've wore the UFC gloves, I've been do, in the UFC. Do you, do you feel like you weren't given the proper chance though last time? I mean, what to sit here and say it wasn't fair, who cares? Well, another sob story, it wasn't fair. I got, listen, my life got diverted, one door closed and another 10 opened and we're still sat here today, I'm, I'm a world champion and like, it's only ever me, Michael Bisping and Leon Edwards in the history of this country that I've ever been a world champion in MMA. So like, do I care? No. I'm happy with the way my career's going, absolutely. I love that, I love that because you weren't, I love the fact that you push back on that I wouldn't go backwards on it do you know what I mean that shows that shows a lot if there was kind of one pinnacle thing that you could leave and impart on this audience from this podcast one thing that can move them 1% forward in their life today on all levels of the game business mindset personal development or any area what would it be I think we touched on it before didn't we I think it's more like um, whatever it is your true calling is because it most certainly isn't doing a 9 to 5 Whatever your true calling is, just realise that you only have a certain amount of days that you put here and then they're gone. And then you don't want to be lying on your deathbed saying, I could have done this, I could have done that. I was the best footballer, I was the best fighter in the gym. Nobody cares. You've just got to get out, you've got to go for it. You can't give a fuck what anyone says. If you've got a bird that tells you not to go train, she ain't the bird for you. And like, you've just got to put it all to one side and make it happen, tunnel vision. I want to I wanna actually just touch on that before we finish the podcast because we touched on it earlier, but... I want to go into a little bit more depth before we leave today. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you'll ever have a girlfriend now, or do you do you reckon do you reckon you'll have to finish the sport completely before you can ever have one? Tricky, tricky, isn't it? I mean, they have to really compliment, they have to really fall in, and who's going to fall into a maniac that just travels the world? He's in Thailand, next day he's in Dubai, then he's back in England, then he's in America fighting. Where are you fitting in? Are you gonna yeah, just? Yeah, are you yeah. gonna get on all the flights with me? Are you gonna come to all my training sessions and video me? I mean, but you d- tell me. But does that like hurt your heart a little bit? Because uh, from from my perspective, it's like you know, yeah, I know you could. I know you could when you're in the pursuit of a goal like we are. You could dip back into the hookup culture and do all that bullshit. Yeah. But that kind of takes you off your game and fucks your head space yep. as well. So you can't really yep. dip into that. Or if you can, you fuck yourself up. So part of you. I know that I do. I'm like, could do with. Could yeah, do we're with. getting older, mate. Bro, we, we are fucking. We're not, we're not spring I'm chickens. Thir- I'm 35, mate. I'm just, there we go. There we're not are. spring chickens. And we, we, we are not. You're 34, yeah? guess what? Not everybody gets to be great. I've just got to keep telling myself that. I love that. There's like, a sacrifice that comes with it. And that's how we're going to finish it. Not, not everyone gets to be great. And, mate, go. it's been an absolute yeah. fucking honour to, to have you on here, mate, and to shoot this in the gym and, and to uh, obviously, mate, just what your career and what you've explained through this podcast and what people I believe can put in their mindset to listen to it guys do me a solid favor yeah subscribe on every platform Spotify Apple leave leave a review on Spotify and Apple if you can leave a comment on YouTube hit that subscribe button on YouTube just help me uh, support this podcast and this growth I'm trying to bring you the best guests like Brendan week in week out and I love this art and I'll drive anywhere to do it and I appreciate every single one of you that hits that subscribe button and supports this podcast share it with your friends much love Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.